Good morning. Welcome this morning. We are glad you're here to worship with us. If you're new to us, special always welcome for you, and I trust you'll come back to be with us and uh, grow with us and, and learn together. We're all in this together. We're on different places on the same road of faith, and some are newer to faith, some have been longer in faith, but uh, it's only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ, and uh, we want him to be exalted more than anything else, more than this church, more than any person, more than he is the center of the church. And want to be, he wants to be more the center of our lives. And I trust that is increasingly true in you and me as well. Take a moment to fill out a connection card. If you haven't done that, we'd love for you to do that. Appreciate your cooperation. If you are new to us, uh, the hub right next to us, the next big room over has a connection area. And we'd love to get acquainted with you today. If you can stick around just a, just a few minutes afterwards. God is so good to us, and uh, today's message, uh, we, are, we are looking at something more specific today, and yet it applies to everybody, and specifically applies to some, and you'll see what I mean in just a few minutes, but uh, before we do that, let's pause to pray. Our Father in heaven, we are grateful that we have life to live, and coming here today, we come from different walks. Some here today have had really difficult weeks. Some have been uh, really celebrating this week for any number of reasons, and there's everybody in between. But I thank you, Father, that worship lifts us above whatever it is in our lives that preoccupies us and reminds us of this great God we worship today who loves us. So, Father, today we are yours, and I pray, Father, that we will be good recipients of, of the Word of God, and we will be good uh, participants in the worship of God. In Jesus' name, amen. We do come from different backgrounds, have different opportunities, and some of you are struggling through whatever. And, uh, you know, sometimes the message applies directly, and you'll come to church and say, man, I can't believe that passage was just for me. Sometimes not, but it's still, nevertheless, it's good to be together in worship with other people. Worship alone lifts us above, and I trust that that will happen to you today. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 6. We've been walking with Christ in the Gospels, and we're going to come back to that next week as we prepare for Resurrection Sunday, uh, April 16th. We'll talk call our next series, Giving Up. And uh, to really embrace the cross means letting go of other things. And so I want to just explore what Jesus means by that. Uh, but today, there's just kind of a break right here that I want to focus on something out of Acts to help us address a real need we have in a church. So we're calling for 200 people today. Maybe that's you, and I'll tell you why in just a little bit. Uh, but, but the passage itself deals with all of us, and here's what the passage says, Acts 6, verse 1. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and, they, and, we, and we'll give our attention to prayer and ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Par Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. 
they presented those men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Growing pains are a part of life, aren't they? You can remember probably being a, uh, an adolescent, some of you maybe, maybe uh, sooner or early, more recent than the rest of us, you actually go through physical growing pains sometimes. Stages of life present some growing pains as well, where you struggle through those stages, and you have to face the reality of getting older. My, when I was 23 years old, I was right out of college and uh, starting ministry, and I was going to go see my first elderly person, and I had never touched an elderly person before, and I was freaking out a little bit. I know that sounds silly, but I just never, I didn't know my grandparents, and so I never was really around elderly people. And so I went to see Mary Hapner, a sweet little lady in a dank nursing home, and it came time for me to pray. Well, what do you do? You, you hold their hands. And I grabbed Mary's hand, and it was so soft. That's what I remember so distinctly, how soft it was. Well, since then, I've held lots of hands of elderly people, and and I have hugged many of them, and they always, they always lift me up. They're always the ones that minister to me more than I do for them. It's so different from my grandson. One of my grandsons is four years old. He's Graham. He was with us last weekend, and my mother-in-law was at the house, and she's 88, called Mimi Norma. And he was standing near her and where she was seated. He reached out and touched her face. And he's, you have old skin. <laughs> she said, that's right, I have old skin. The next day, he was by Grammy, my wife, Grammy Diana. He touched her skin and said, your skin, a little bit old skin. A <laughs> little bit old skin. You know, the mirror can be brutal to us, you know, can be harsh as we go through the aging process. There are growing pains in, in life relationships. There are growing pains in just the body we deal with we, as, we, as we age and, and see that happening to us. Uh, the early church had its own growing pains. Every church that grows does have growing pains. There are things that we have to deal with to, to help us do things better. The early church was a dramatic, uh, a dramatic witness in the New Testament world, starting in Jerusalem and Judea and then eventually into Europe. By chapter 6 of Acts, thousands have become followers of Jesus Christ by the message of the resurrection from the dead. That was the central message that changed everything. And it wasn't long before the testimony about the churches that they were turning the world upside down. Some say that by the end of the first century, one half the population of the major cities of Europe had become Christians. What a tremendous example they were in a brutal culture. It was a brutal culture. We actually have in existence a letter written by a Roman businessman who was traveling to northern Egypt, Alexandria. He's writing home to his wife about his travel, about his journey. She's expecting their child. And he says, writes as just an a, uh, a light aside to his wife, uh, if it's a girl, throw her out. That's the kind of brutal society the church was infiltrating by their unique way of being a people called by God, set apart. And as the world watched, they were, they, they were, they were one. They were brought in. That's why when we read later... In Acts, you know, when, when Ananias, or earlier, actually, chapter 5, remember Ananias drops dead in front of the assembly. 
because he, he lied to the Lord. He lied to the church. The Lord struck him dead. And the Bible says at the end of that, great fear seized the whole church. Nevertheless, the church continued to grow. Why? Because this was a captivating community. Nobody had ever functioned like this, like the church was functioning. Now, you read, when I looked at the text today, you saw there's a problem. The growing problem, the specific one they're going through right on this occasion, is there's this dispute rising between the Hebraic Jews and the Hellenistic Jews. Well, what's that mean? When they, the Hebraic Jews are the Jews that have lived in Jerusalem all their lives. They lived on the outskirts. They lived in Judea. They, they, they speak the Aramaic language. Uh, they are Jews who become Christians. That's, that's their life, okay? The Hellenistic Jews are those who grew up in a Greek culture. They've lived outside of Israel. They probably were part of the scattered Jewish peoples that scattered for a number of reasons through persecutions and those kinds of things. They don't speak the Aramaic language. They would speak their local language wherever they grew up and uh, the Greek language. So their culture was different. Now they're living in this area. Maybe these widows are around here because they just came to a place where they would more likely be cared for. Some of them were probably had been Gentiles um, in the Greek world, they were converted to Judaism, then they became Christians. So what's happening, as you read here, is they, they care for these widows, they care for these people, and the widows were dependent, and the, those from the Greek background were being overlooked. And so you can imagine the jealousy that's growing, the disgruntled spirit among the people. There were people being slighted. If you've ever been slighted before by a group of people, you know how they feel. And the leaders, the apostles, were concerned about that, but they're so given to prayer and ministry of their words. They say, we can't, we can't leave that to, in order to just take, take care of their needs. And so they did something very wise. They presented seven men to take care of those needs at that time. Now, these men had to be special men. Why? Because of, of all this disgruntledness. It couldn't be just anybody because it had to be somebody mature enough that could love on these people who were disgruntled, and, and also work on bringing unity about. So it was a large responsibility, a huge job description to mend these broken relationships as well as then address the physical needs. I'm sure it took a while for that to happen. And so uh, we trust it finally did. But there's something else about this text I want you to notice. That, now, Dr. Luke is the one who writes the book of Acts, the history of the church as it started. And did you notice, when we get to the very end, it says this in verse 7. He says, so the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now, that's very intriguing. And I don't think Luke wrote anything offhand that didn't have meaning to it. And he includes it right here in this context. Why? Well, if you have ever grown up in a Catholic church or an Orthodox church, many of you come out of that background, you have different, different perceptions of, of priests, uh, different from those of us who haven't come out of the Catholic faith. Um, maybe you picture a priest as somebody remote or intimidating or unapproachable. Or you might, might see a, a priest as a Bing Crosby kind, you know? 
uh, and, uh, and as somebody who is very kind and good and giving to the community and easy to approach. You can have all kinds of, of ideas about a priest that some could be true and some very, a very uh, warped view of a priest. But it's intriguing to me that this says many priests became Christians. Why? I want to suggest to you this morning that one of the reasons they did is because of the priestly spirit that they saw among the church. Because you know what happens? When you and I are born again, we become Christ followers. One of the great New Testament teachings is we become priests. Did you know that? We become priests together under one high priest, Jesus Christ. In other words, the needs that were, were there in the church, usually, typically, in the Jewish faith, were taken care of by the priests. As these priests look in, the whole cotton-picking caboodle of them are acting like priests. And I think that's one of the reasons they were intrigued to come clo- take a closer look. And I want us to do that today. Then we have a very practical application at the end. Here are five things about a priest. First of all, priests are continually representing. That's what they do. They, they represent, they go to God on behalf of the people. That's not only true in the Jewish religion, but basically all religions of the world, pagan religions of the world, have their own hierarchy and sort of their priests that they set, set up to represent the people. Do you know what it's like to be an outsider? I mean, I think we all do. You can be new at a school. You can be new at work. You can come new to a church. And if you're new to us today, maybe you don't know anybody here, and you can feel like an outsider. We hope that won't be true for long. You go to a restaurant, some posh. You're not used to poshness, and so you're there. The food's too rich. It's too expensive. You don't hang around these kind of people, and you'd rather be at McDonald's. It's that kind of feeling, you know. Or you go to a party, and you're very underdressed for the crowd, and you just feel very awkward in this particular group. or whatever. We all know what it's like to, to feel feel like an outsider. Well, what a, what a priest did is he, he, he brought the people before God because we're outsiders with God until someone represents us. They do something for us. And so in Exodus 28 and 29, Aaron is the first high priest and Aaron's clothes are designed by God himself. If you're going to watch the Oscars, you might get into the red carpet. I don't know if you do. I don't like that part. But, you know, they, they, they walk, everything is studied about who's got who's worst dressed, best dressed, all that kind of thing. Aaron won the Oscar for best dressed in Israel. He, they put on a garment, and God gave instructions. The garment had woven colors of scarlet and purple and blue and gold. It had onyx stones inset in the shoulders, and they had engravings on it. And then there was a breastplate put on him, and that had all kinds of precious jewels. Amethyst and lapis lazuli and other precious gems are listed there. And plus, there's a gold plate on the, on the front that is engraved, holy to the Lord. Can you imagine what Matt must have been like for Aaron to be adorned that way, to be his dresser, or to stand before the people? The people must have been agog at his appearance. And he was going to make his way into the Holy of Holies and represent the people in that place. What a high honor that is. Here's the truth, brothers and sisters. When you are baptized into Jesus Christ, you are robed in the righteousness that comes through Jesus. 
And you and I are just as preciously adorned and more so than Aaron, the high priest, because of Jesus Christ, who is our high priest forever. And that's why we don't have a dress code, because our dress code has already been taken care of by Jesus Christ pouring out his blood for us. Second, priests are extremely caring. They just cared for people. If you, if you, and we keep saying this. If you think you're, you're good enough by on your own, it's a lie of the evil one. And, and if that's true, we look down on our, no, our noses on everybody else. We are saved by grace alone. Faith in Jesus Christ is the response to such grace. And we have one high priest, Jesus Christ. While God had formed the priesthood under Aaron, he dismantled it. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, the Bible says the tur- curtain, the temple, uh, and the temple was torn in two, signifying that we could all enter the throne room of God, and we become priests under him who care about people. He is the one who ultimately cares for us, and we care for us. Jesus says in Matthew 25, when he comes back, he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. And who are the sheep? He says the sheep are the ones who care for people. They're the people who don't have clothes, and you clothe them. They're thirsty, and you give them the drink. They're in prison, and you visit them. They have all kinds of needs. And the people said, well, when did we do that? Whatever you do for these people, Jesus said, you've done it to me. It's like doing it for me. And so priests did that. They, they cared for the people in the, Jewish, in the Jewish nation whose needs needed to be addressed. Now the church is doing that in the first century. The priests will, 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 will be honored, will be rewarded as they pour themselves out for others. Third, priests are deeply sympathetic. They're deeply sympathetic. Their hearts are bound up with people. They're advocates of the people. They're sensitive to life issues. If we were to read further in Acts chapter 6 and chapter 7, we learn about more about Stephen's ministry and how he, he really acted as both prophet and priest. Prophet meaning speaking for God. Whenever you testify, whenever you tell anybody how good God has been and is to you, you're, a, so to speak, a prophet, not big P prophet. Don't get a big head about that. You're a little P prophet. In other words, you're speaking to people about how God, how God has blessed you, all right? That's what prophets did. They spoke for God. When we leave this place, we speak for God. We live for God. Priests speak to God for the people. They are empathetic, sympathetic with the people. That's how Stephen was in chapters 6 and 7. Even those, even those who were going to murder him, he praised to God saying, don't hold these these actions against them. Don't hold your anger against them. He was acting very priestly in that particular time. That's what we do with one another. Anytime you pray for somebody, you know, you are being very priestly, whether you have realized that or not. Fourth, priests are incredibly bold. They're incredibly bold. Well, based on what? Based on the fact that we get to enter the very presence of God. You know, we, we, we don't have a holy and holies. This church building is not any holier than your house. And wherever you are calling on the name of the Lord, that is a holy place. When you have the attention of God Almighty, and do you know how beautiful you are when you do that? Do you know how richly adorned you are when you do that? When you are, when you are washed clean by the blood of Christ, clothed with white robes of righteousness, you are stunningly, ravishingly beautiful before God. 
And you go to God boldly for the people. There's no fear in that because, because, because you're clothed in his beauty. So the fear of serving people is cast out. The fear of going before God is cast out. Some of you are doing things in ministry now. You never thought you'd ever do. You never picture yourself doing that. Because why? This, this one high priest, Jesus Christ, has given you boldness to do what has to be done. Praise God. And priests are active prayers. They are active prayers. Stephen acts so much like that as a priest, even while being stoned, as I said. You know, many and many in our realm, like, like in Stephen's world, did not want anything to do with any of this message. But you know, we still face a world and we pray for the world deeply in need of a Savior. I hope you do that with friend, for, for friends, for people in your family who need the Lord. You know, there's a place in the Old Testament where Samuel says, As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. Now, we, you know, we got to stop somewhere. We can't pray for everybody, right? But I think it's saying if you know someone really needs prayer and you fail to do it, it is sinning against God. Did you know that? That's what the Bible says. That's why we want to take prayer seriously and the needs of people seriously. Now, all of this applies to every one of us in Jesus Christ because we're all to be acting and living like priests, praying for one another, serving one another, being empathetic toward one another, uh, taking others before the throne of God, representing people all the time who are going through times of weakness. This is a very priestly thing to do. We have one particular area of ministry that needs attention. Kevin Carr is going to come up. Kevin directs our adult ministries area, and we have a great need. And let him tell you about it today. Just for a little background, um, about a year ago, our ministry team was asked to begin overseeing our ministry to homebound members here at the church. And uh, at any given time, um, there are 80 to 100 people who are considered shut in or homebound in our congregation. Shortly after we were asked to take on that responsibility, we hired Alan Hughes. And if you know Alan Hughes, you know his job is primarily to work with our senior adult population. It's a large population. There are close to 800 people in our congregation who are age 60 or older. And at any given time, that means that about one in eight of our senior adults are homebound. That's a huge population. Um, at the time that we started kind of investigating how we would lead the ministry, uh, Kate, Kate Mangano, our ministry uh, team member, she reminded us that, it, that we were really only serving about a dozen people uh, communion on Sundays at that point, which meant there were 85% of our seniors who were shut in who used to be right here among us every weekend and active in our body. Only 85, 85% of them weren't being ministered to on any regular basis. And we started to do the math and realized that if we were going to continue doing things the way we were doing them, that we'd have to recruit 147 additional teams to go out and make calls on the weekends just to deliver communion to our current homebound members. And so we realized that we needed to make some changes and some adjustments so that we could reach out. So uh, we realized really quickly that we weren't creating a sustainable system. We didn't have a sustainable system. Uh, with the numbers increasing and the senior adult population, our church swelling in size, it kind of left us with a situation like what the church had in the first century, where there was a need that God had brought about and needed to marshal resources to, to make sure to meet that need. Um, we realized that we needed to switch up the way we were asking teams to be uh, constituted and so that more people could serve and there'd be greater access there. And we realized that we needed to change things up, that the, the homebound seniors that we were getting to know needed 
of course, to participate in the Lord's Supper and to, and to enjoy that. But they had deeper needs, relational needs, that we wanted to make sure that we were set up to meet. So we drafted up some ideas, and we shared them with Steve and the leadership team. And they took our notes and ran, and I met with the elders, and the elders said, go for it. And uh, so what I want to let you know about were some things that we're intending to do. We've simplified our structure in terms of our ministry to senior adults who are homebound. We want one team... Uh, to make to really adopt one homebound member and to make two calls per month to that member. Um, it could be more, it could be less. You're going to hear a story in just a little bit that might show you that there's a lot that really can develop from these relationships, and we want to allow the spirit room to make that happen. So we've also really identified a clearer purpose. Sure, we want folks to be able to receive communion if that's what they wish, but we also want for them to enjoy the community of believers and to be relationally connected still to this congregation. So our teams are really designed to, to have relationships with these folks. And also, we, we've broadened the participation, the ability for more people to participate in this ministry. And by that, I mean, of course, husbands and wives can go make calls together. Ladies, you could grab a friend and who you're in a woman's Bible study with or, or just a neighbor, a Christian sister, and make calls and deliver communion to, to build relationships and all the rest. Uh, grandparents, parents, you could take your kids or grandkids along with you to make calls. Um, guys, you could grab a friend and make calls together. Life groups may choose to adopt one or two sets of, or one or two people who are homebound. We want to let that be kind of up to you. Um, But if you want to get involved, we want to facilitate that. And so you can take the form that's in your bulletin today. You can fill that out and bring it, either drop it in the offering plate or bring it back to the Connection Center in the hub and we'll be in touch with you. If you could let us know a couple of things on that form though. If you have somebody you'd like to call with, please let us know who that is and we'll make sure you're teamed up. If you have someone from the church that's a homebound member that maybe you already know and have a relationship with and you want to make calls on them, let us know about that too. And we've listed some training dates there. We want to make sure every team that goes out is resourced and, and, uh, and equipped to go and do that. So you can sign up for one of those times as well. I really hope that we'll be able to care for uh, all of the folks who are part of our congregation who can no longer be here on Sundays. And I know together we'll be able to make sure that needs met. Great. Thanks, Kevin. I'm going to be in a nursing home someday. I hope you'll come see me, okay? I'm just asking two of you to come. That's all. Just two of you, okay? Uh, We don't usually address a ministry need like this on Sunday, but but this is such a great part, a big part of our congregation uh, to have uh, 800 people aged 60 and over, and we know that in our culture, uh, people are living longer because of advancements in healthcare, and that's a good thing. But it also means uh, we're going to live longer, and we want to make sure not only these people are addressed, but we have a system in place by which any person who moves to being homebound is going to have somebody to care for them. Watch this right now. I just think that um, to, to come and, and sit in the pews on Sunday and uh, be a spectator is, is not what church is about. You feel like you're part of a family. And when you're in a family, everybody pitches in and takes care of each other. After being um, part of the church for, for about three years, we, that's when we decided, hey, we need to roll up our sleeves and start getting more involved. Uh, it was the perfect timing. We were looking for something to, to help with, and um, that's, that's what called us to do it. Well, Phyllis um, 
She's a, just a very delightful person, and um, the, the communion piece, while very important, um, the visits turned into something so much better than just bringing communion. She became a good friend. She's a delight. I mean, she always has a smile on her face. We were interested in what she was doing. She was interested in what we were doing. Uh, it's just family. One day, uh, we were over there uh, with, with a visit, and there was a particularly meaningful message from the pulpit. I asked Phyllis, uh, or told Phyllis, to be sure and take a look at the DVD. And she said she didn't have a DVD player to play it on. Every Sunday we hand her a DVD and she has no way to play it. So I got a DVD player for her and uh, we, we installed it and uh, wrote out some detailed directions on her remotes, press this button, then this button, and she was able to watch the DVDs at that point and seemed uh, quite happy to have that extra contact with the church. It, it's hard to quantify how much she uh, feels like this is this is bringing her bringing the church to her in a way um, but you can tell just just by the look on her face when you're there that uh, how, how much it means for the church to be doing this for her every time that we go she expresses um, that she's grateful that we come but she's just so upbeat and when you're around someone like that, you can't help but feel uplifted. If you look at what Christ did for us, it's something that we need to try to, to emulate and um, um, do for others. What do we have that's more important to do than that is to care for others? He puts opportunities in front of us, and we need to be ready to take on those opportunities. Phyllis was out there waiting for us to come and see her, I, I believe, and, and I think God gave us that opportunity. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the various stages of life by which we learn I thank you for the older people in my life who have invested in me and blessed me. Thank you for the older saints who have gone before us to serve in this place. And I thank you, Father, we have an opportunity to bless them. And so I pray, Father, for those right people to rise up today and be a part of this growing ministry. So thank you, Father, for the family of God. Please continue to give us a priestly spirit in this place that the world may know there's a distinct difference about the way the church lives together and takes care of one another. May God be praised in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and worship.